The Kaplan Community Podcast is a platform for the wider Kaplan community to share ideas and insights that can guide us on our professional and academic development. It's easy to listen to, but tackle some hard-hitting issues. And we think it's a great way to appreciate diverse perspectives on life, learning, and careers. Hello, my name is Rafael. Today, we're happy to have one of our alumni, Rafael Alves, who graduated last year with an MBA. How are you doing, Rafael? Oh, good, guys. How about yourselves? Everything good with the lockdowns over there? Good, Rafael. <laughs> as good as well as can be expected during a lockdown. I hope it's well with you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys, by the way. Thank you for being here. You're an entrepreneur and you founded the Landlord Housing. Can you just tell us about your business? So the Landlord Housing was a business that I, I started in 2016 when I came to Australia. Entrepreneurship is a big passion for me, so it wasn't different in Australia. I came here, didn't find the opportunities that I wanted, so I just created them. The Landlord Housing was, the idea was to create a community of international students linked to one of the challenges we face here, that is housing. Finding a house in Melbourne is really hard for us. Like majority of the owners does, don't like to rent for international students, I think. Also, there is a lot of paperwork that sometimes we cannot provide. So the idea was to create something easier for international students. So a place to stay, comfortable, clean, and no bureaucracy at all. So just come in, you're welcome. That was the idea, and we're still running. Excellent. I'm particularly glad that you're opening up to the international community. I'm curious, how many different nationalities do you actually have? It varies a lot, varies a lot. Historically, I would say it's mostly Brazilians, people from Philippines as well, a lot of Europeans from France, Italy. Uh, it's a big mix, but I would say like historically, most of them are Brazilians. It's great to hear that you've got a mix and, and it does make sense, of course. Dealing with international students, any business there, you have to figure out how to connect culturally. Do you have plans or do you sort of strategize about to, how to connect with other student groups like the main nationality student groups in Melbourne, I believe, would be Indian, subcontinent, Chinese. So do you approach these groups from your business as well? We don't have like specific nationality to target. But since we believe like we want everybody to come in, we try not to specialize in any specific culture. We learn by experience. So when someone comes in, we learn something, we try to play a little bit more. Of course, like we do a lot of uh, marketing around to, to convince people that we understand about them. We, I believe like it's not only convincing, but to prove them, we understand them, but we don't target anything specific. What we have done so far is like we had some, some not programs, but some events to try to put everyone together. So we had yoga classes. Also, once in a while, I used to drop by the tenant's house, just, hey, guys, get some pizza for us. Let's have a chat, things like that. And this is the way I found to put every, everyone connected. And that was quite interesting because within the, the, the apartments, we could feel sometimes like Japanese, sometimes a little bit more shy and Brazilians extremely extrovert. So like that moment when I was going there and speak to the guys, was a moment, hey guys, every, everybody here together, come on. 
slowly, gradually, we started like breaking those walls. Some tenants do that by themselves. Uh, happens quite often as well. So a different approaches to bring those communities together, but always within the company. Outside, it's a little bit different. We try to be equal. I'm particularly interested in that aspect of the company because you're bringing in different people and you're actually having a social connection. And we know that loneliness is a huge thing for international students, really any migrant. So when you're getting together, what kinds of things do you talk about? What do, you, what do people tell you are the pressures that they're feeling and that you, where you can help out? I would say the first start, students are looking for a place to stay. This actually was the biggest motive for me to start the company. We come to Australia and we start feeling anxious because we cannot find a place to stay, so we don't feel safe. On the other side, we don't know much people, so we also feel lonely. So it's a little bit challenging as well. And of course, like the pressure to get a new job, to pay the rent, all those stuff. Like, so I would say I dealt pretty much with loneliness. Still, like tenants sometimes talk to us about it. COVID was a big time to have a close conversation with tenants about this topic. Anxiety, like always there, always there. Anyway, I think that's it. Like, did I answer your question, Richard? Yeah, because I'm thinking about when I first got to Australia. So I did find my own share accommodation, but then I had to get to know a, a set of flatmates. And I found that to be difficult because I didn't know, I didn't have any common thing to talk to them about. So to have a, a service like what you're providing with the landlord housing and just coming by and socializing and helping me to get to know people would have been terrific when I came to Australia. And Karen, you probably had the same experience as well, I would think. Yeah, it, well, you know, it's always a journey and, and it has challenges when you're navigating a new city, a new country. Actually, Raphael, I looked through your marketing a bit and I'll say when it comes to sort of support and well-being, your Instagram, I think that might be one of your main communication channels. When I looked at your Insta, I just felt like relief. That was one of the main sort of things that uh, feelings that came to me from looking at it. You've got different services of government support for students. You've yes. got people who have won grants. You've got like meditation days, stuff like that. So it, it seems like you have integrated that into part of your value proposition, well-being. Exactly. We are very customer-based, customer-focused. So everything we do, we do for, for our customers, our, our tenants. Since we understand those, those factors around well-being, and again, I will mention COVID, we have to help our community. That's just a basic logic. If I don't help them, I don't have them, I don't have my revenue. It's pretty, of course, like it's uh, something that I enjoy doing, helping people, but I have to see from the perspective of the business as well. I have to maintain those kind of approach to keep my, my, my the international students who are living with us happy. You mentioned the, the rent relief, the, the helping people with rent relief. It, that was a big step for us. As soon as COVID started, like we saw that uh, international students were struggling. We straight away gave rent, rent reduction for all of our tenants, no exclusion. Everybody received that. Nobody has to, had to ask us. It's uh, amazing. Well done. Thanks, man. Thanks. And uh, just straight away, we saw the government, the Victorian government announcing the rent relief grant. 
And uh, we know people just like sometimes get lost. The language is a big barrier as well for, for international students. So majority of our tenants didn't know how to apply for the grant. So we created the guide, we published that, and we didn't ex expect, but we had like a lot of downloads from not our tenants, people from outside and the people calling us out, uh, asking for help, like, how do you apply? And like, just follow the guide. So it was a pretty, what was, was pleasant actually helping everybody and seeing as well, everybody going through this, this, this pandemic, staying with us. I know that you're doing the marketing and the, and getting out this message, particularly with the written relief grant. I understand that it was downloaded by 22,000 people. Is that correct? Yes, that is. What a success. Yeah. So my, my question is, how can you get the message out even further from 22,000 now to, you know, 100,000 in the future? How can you get that message out through, you know, your digital entrepreneurship and marketing? I think the, the main strategy for us is always focusing on the international student. So we believe having a, a close relationship with them and helping them, supporting them, they automatically uh, multiply every communication we have. Apart from that, we also invest a lot of uh, on our own network. So student agencies around us, immigrant agencies, uh, schools, anyone part of the, the, international, the international students community, we try to use a little, not to use like, but to influence a little bit. And when, once they see the benefits, they just share it. That's pretty, pretty easy. And that's our strategy. Talking specifically about the rent relief grant, we don't expect it to, to go much further because every time someone sees, sees our, our names, they call us, they try to, to get in touch. And if we get a big portion of people, like a lot of people get in touch with us, we can just not reply them. And uh, customer service is something that we are very concerned all the time. We must reply everybody in 24 hours. So that's why we are trying not to spread, to, to roll out the, the guide furthermore. But anyway, our strategy is always, as I was saying, is always focusing on our students, expecting them to multiply everything we say to them, to multiply our business idea as well. You know, I've heard that problem when people try to call you because you get well-known and then people want to contact you and then you're under pressure to respond when you really don't have the capacity or the time. I've heard that called the, the entrepreneur's curse. So you're growing and that success is your own downfall, so to speak. So now I guess we're getting into that topic of, of funding, crowdfunding, and how you're going to get more resources in to, to grow the business. What's your experience with crowdfunding and, and, and collecting that kind of funds you need to grow the business? So it was a pretty interesting journey, actually. It's something that I very much enjoyed. I invested all my money to come to Australia. So when I, 2016, I had like maybe, I don't know, like 5% of the money I needed to, to run a business, the business. And uh, I started getting in touch with people around myself like friends, family. I remember like learning that in Kaplan. We call it, I think, three Fs, something like that. Friends, family, and fools. <laughs> I went around those people, had a chat with them, explaining them what business was about. 
before doing that, I had uh, the first version, let's say. I rented one apartment. I, I ran a kind of trial. So in my home, I was doing everything to learn from experience, to know what I, I needed to have, what I needed to do to get it working nicely. And I offered that afterwards, just show, look, I have a business already running in my home. Right now, I want to expand that. So I need that money. Do you want to come in? And a few people just accepted. And I used that base from founding, which means they put the money and every month I was paying kind of interest to them. It's pretty much like a loan. And after in 2019, we paid everything off. So all the money they gave us, we returned it to them. And uh, plus during all the time between 2016 and 19, we kept paying them some interest. And it worked pretty well. We raised uh, 138000 at that time. That was enough to create the landlord housing. You know, I really admire entrepreneurs because I consider it a very brave thing to do. It's taking on quite a bit of risk. And, and when you say, I mean, geez, 138000 and that's 138000 of, of debt, and you paid it off. I think many people admire entrepreneurs. You've got creativity, determination, but it's not always easy. So what has been a main challenge that you've had in starting your business and getting it to this point? In Australia, I would say, I'm mentioning in Australia because I had that journey in Brazil as well, which was completely different. But in Australia, I would say the language was the main challenge and also some cultural areas. So a lot of people just like, I, I, I felt at the beginning they didn't trust me much. But I think the secret is just like, keep on going. Like you receive a no, okay, next no, next no, next no, until you get a yes. Apart from that, let me see. There are several risks. Just don't think about it. Just, just do it. That's the secret. Don't, don't think too much. Just do it. If you feel uh, your idea is good, if you have also like, if you have tried your business as I did, as a, in a small uh, size, call it in, I think, MVP in, in business, right? So try MVP if everything is working well. Just do it. Don't think twice. I think it took a lot of courage, and I'm kind of going on with what Kieran mentioned earlier. I think it takes a lot of courage to do the three three Fs, sorry, the three friends, Fs, yeah. folks, and family. So my question really is, and I'm very curious, you maintain those stakeholder relationships, you pay back the money, and you've obviously got good relationships with them. What advice would you give to a, a new entrepreneur who has never raised money before? First, see the options. Like There are a bunch of options, like banks. Uh, can give you some money. Crowdfunding is always a, an option. Get also those days websites that can help us with that. And there are a lot of other other uh, choices for us. But I would say like the main advice would be be honest with yourself and with others. Because people sometimes just like we create a scenario not very realistic and we start believing that. So as to be careful in this step. Because once you, let's say you say to your uh, potential investor that you can make them a million dollars in one day, might not be achievable and you're going to lose the guy after one month. So be honest with yourself with the figures you put, but also be honest with the investors when you say everything to them. Make sure that they understand the risks. As we know, any business, there are a bunch of risks. So make clear 
make every single information clear with them. As you said already, keep a close, uh, close conversation with them as well. Otherwise, investors can start feeling a little bit like unsure about things. So keep a, a close conversation, disclose the numbers, make sure like that the, the roadmap is also even translated to them in the way they can understand and uh, try like but the base is the basic thing i would say is honest be honest about everything you you do it's interesting your experience as an international entrepreneur and you know right before coming to australia i was an entrepreneur in brazil so yeah, yeah in, in salvador <laughs> and in and in rio so I'm, I'm interested in your experience. You said, you know, completely different here. And I can agree with that. I started a company in California, pretty much copied the business model, and it worked really well in Brazil. But then when I tried to do the same thing here in, in Sydney, it just totally bombed for a few reasons. It's just you could not do the same thing. So what do you find to be the main differences for, say, starting a company in Australia versus Latin America? paperwork and the red tapes. Australia is pretty easy. Just go to a SQL website, register your business name, get an ABN. If you have to get an ACN as well, everything's pretty straightforward. And uh, there, is a, there is some trust. I, I feel that as well. In Brazil, you have to prove everything you're saying. So if you have a business account and you're gonna open your, your ABN, for example, you have to mention everything. You have to give the proof that you have the account to then be able to open the business. And here, no, you just mark a check on the application. I declare that I have this and done. Everything is done. Every, very easy, very quick. So that was the main difference, I would say. Yeah, I think that that's the main one, the main part. The, the bureaucracy is completely, there's no bureaucracy here. Why you're in pursuit, you have to do a lot of stuff before and spending a lot of money as well before start the business. Yeah, it's true in Australia, if you've got a good idea and you're really sort of, oh, I want to start a company, you can pretty much do it tomorrow because it's pretty, you can go and get yourself an ABN and a company bank account. That Those parts are pretty simple. But what would you say if you somebody's got a good idea, they're considering starting a company, what would you say to them about uh, your advice? Um. You mean like the difference if they should open in Brazil or in Australia? No, I just mean somebody, say a KBS student or a fellow alumnus who's got a good idea. They're here in Australia and they're, they're considering, should I start a company? And what, what do I do? What would your advice to them be? I would say run an MVP, a small, just a trial version of your business. If it works, go to the next step. Don't, don't get burned out by several thoughts like how it's going to be, how I, I'm going to pay the, the, uh, my employees, my bills. Don't think too much. Just run an MVP and see how it goes. Learn from it and try to escalate the business afterwards. You know, my experience, I came from the United States and I was, doing, I was a management consultant in the United States. And then I came to Australia and I too started up my own company and tried consulting. The big benefit that I got out of starting that company up in Australia was that I learned how to be self-reliant. So a few times in and out of my career, I've gone back into self-employment, then come out, get a job, go back into self-employment. And I've really grown my career that way. So I'm curious, 
Is there, would there be a time when you either step aside from the landlord housing or would you grow it and, and take on a different role? What's your plan for the, for the future of the company? I've just done exactly what you mentioned. <laughs> right now, I'm also working for Capital. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot mentioning that. I'm working with compliance in Capital right now. Well done. Well done. Yeah, Thank congrats. You. Welcome to the team. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I had to, to, I think we'd say in English, step back, isn't it? Like, you know, COVID was really harsh for us. Just like we lost uh, 69% of the company in about 60 days. So right now we are trying to rebuild everything. In this moment, I had no choice but to go back to, to, to the industry, working for somebody in a way to just like get some, it is stronger a little bit. Like after 14 months fighting COVID, it's just like we need to, to, to get some, some power before going to the next step. And for the future of the landlord, Richard, it's still the same. Plans is still the same. Like just we keep expanding on demand. So if we get more students, we expand one more accommodation. We keep on going in that way. In the same way, if we have less students, we also decrease, we shrink again. Uh, so it's pretty flexible and that has been our strategy. Since borders are closed, we're trying to be more conservative right now, like with in every single step going very slowly, understanding the, 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 the scenario, uh, not to create new problems. I don't have figures to say to you about the expansion, about the future, we still looking for our our way out of COVID. We don't know what's going on in Australia. So at the same time, I don't know what's going on in the business. Right now we have new lockdowns. Anyway, going slowly, day by day, that's our answer at this moment. The thing, your story that you've just mentioned rings true for your resilience as well as your optimism, which I think is both key for success in anything you do but particularly with entrepreneurship where it is sometimes ups and downs and you can't control the downs. So you need to figure out, like you said, you need to back away and, and work with KBS and compliance. So congratulations on being a team member, but also keeping your, your eye on the vision of the landlord housing. We'll call it a, a project and a company both because it's your yeah, passion. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I should mention, Richard, is that we create that impression that entrepreneurs has to be strong every time and we are not we are just human beings but as a, a, as i think like go to your room cry there don't cry in front of your clients like cry there <laughs> you're gonna find one solution just takes a while sometimes and covid has been 14 months a long time not 14 months i'm sorry over a year much much more than a year and uh but take your time uh, but when you're in front of your team, when you're in front of others, just try to, to be confident. That's that's the most important. One answer will come up. Just just have to be patient. That's the that's the that's something that I learned from COVID actually. <laughs> just wait, be patient. So I'm interested, Ravel. Now you're a KBS employee and you're an alumnus. I'd love to know more about your KBS experience because you came and, and did an MBA. How do you feel like that? I feel like MBAs are just so well-suited for entrepreneurs. Um, I don't know if it's designed for entrepreneurs, but 
Do you think that it it helped you on that journey or or what was something that you took away from the experience? Helped me a lot, lot. First with the discipline. I always think that I can improve the way how I commit to things. Like usually with a lot of things going on at the same time, you just have to take any way, any, any direction and go deal go back and manage everything again. And sometimes like discipline helps us organizing our time, uh, our tasks. This is pretty important. And for sure, my experience uh, doing the masters in KBS uh, helped me with that. The other side would be the management side. I've been learning a little bit more about managing people, managing numbers. Numbers a little bit easier for me because I have IT background. But I've been learning that since at least 18. So being specific in those kind of knowledge and Kaplan just like expanded everything, just changed. Like I, I suddenly had much more experience. I was speaking to a lecturer that had a lot to share with me as well. Not only the, the, the academic thing, but the experiences as well we were sharing. So I'd say those points was really important were really important for me. I learned very much at Kaplan to get a better discipline and also to know better how to manage my business, how to manage my life. What were the, the subjects in the MBA that you found most valuable to starting up uh, your business and giving you that discipline, that confidence that is keeping you going today? I would say every single uh, subject was really important for me, but anything related to people behavior, to psychology, I think helped me a little bit more. Understanding the consuming cycle, like the, the, the when we talk about consumer behavior in marketing uh, psychology, uh, when we talk about business psychology as well, just we are all people. So when we understand how our brain works, it's much easier to deal with us, with ourselves. Uh, we become better leaders, better seller, uh, sellers. So I would say that any subject related to behavior to psychology was the one that mostly taught me, let's say. But I very much enjoyed as well that analysis, which gave me another, another changed a little bit the, the, the strategy of the company before we used to have a lot of backpackers living with us, and uh, which I, I enjoyed to be very honest. But when we checked the data, backpackers uh, was staying at least two months less than an international student which means we had to spend more money to lease properties. So we changed the strategy a little bit. We start focusing in the international students to get them staying with us for a longer longer term, meaning less cost for us. So was also that understanding a little bit deeper, that analysis was really important for us. So I would stick with that, like consumer behavior, business psychology, and that analysis might have been my favorite subjects. Are there any areas that you think you want to keep on learning or you plan to develop yourself in the future? Leadership. I didn't have like a specific subject talking about that, but when dealing with people in culture, when uh, dealing with business psychology, there's just a bunch of interesting things. I, I think I want to, to go a little bit deeper. Management, to be honest, I don't. <laughs> That's not uh, what I... I know how to do, I do enough, and uh, I want to learn new things. I think there's a big, a big basket of new knowledge to learn. 
you mentioned leadership as being really important to entrepreneurship, and then you mentioned that you don't like management. And I know exactly what you mean, and I just wanted to kind of clarify for our audience. Leadership is about setting goals, directions, and that entrepreneurial spirit. And management is setting the analysis, the KPIs, and performance in general. So I just would like your, your thoughts on that, that because you value the human psychology aspect, you're valuing leadership, and the data analysis is only just important for, for management. Look, I, I think leadership is where you create the movement. And that's the, the most pleasant part of the business, I think, like dealing with people, talking to them, understanding them, finding solutions for them. While the management part is just like numbers, just, again, paperwork. I personally feel like I could be doing something more important, more relevant, that is dealing with people. Also, since I'm a system analyst, I believe that paperwork can be done by systems. And meanwhile, we invest our time dealing with people, talking to each other. But since you said about the importance, uh, leadership, again, is how the movement starts. And management, I see how we keep this movement, how we manage this movement to make sure uh, we get the best performance we, we can. And uh, we have to remember as well that a great leader also thinks about the management side. So, you know, everything is quite connected, but both are important. But for me, at least, the leadership is the most pleasant part and the way change really happen. That's really great analysis there, I think, Raphael. And I know I've learned a lot. I'm excited to see your entrepreneurial journey continue. Watch the landlord housing as it continues to grow. I'm sure there's a great rebound in the future there. And so thank you very much for coming and being on the show with us. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Raphael. If you're feeling unwell or in need of help, reach out. Anyone in Australia can get immediate mental health support by calling the National Lifeline on 13 11 14. And Beyond Blue has great 24-7 support staff at 1300 22 46 36. Kaplan employees can contact HR or access free counseling. KBS students have access to free confidential campus counselors, safety and support services such as Sonder. Reach out to your campus student experience team for friendly guidance on accessing these services.